Welcome to the Genuine Admissions Podcast, where we talk to members across our community about all things Loomis. My name is Amy Thompson. I'm the Dean of Enrollment, and I am also your podcast host. Hello, this is Amy Thompson. Dean of Enrollment at Loomis Chafee, and welcome to Genuine Admissions. I am extremely excited today to have the opportunity to have a conversation with a distinguished member of our faculty, our science department chair, Neil Chaudhry. I would also just like to state for the record that Neil is also a good friend. And so I think we're going to have a great conversation today. Um, We've known each other for a long time, certainly in all the years that I've been here at Loomis. And he's uh, had the privilege of teaching a few of my children over the years. Um, Maybe we'll get into that today. I don't know. But um, but we are here to have a conversation about the science department. What is science at Loomis Chafee? What are our goals with our program? How do we design our curriculum to meet those goals? And who knows where the conversation could take us, Neil? So I'm excited to have you here today. So thank you so much for coming. I'm so happy to be here, Amy, and uh, to talk about the wonderful work that we're doing here in the science department. Excellent. Okay, so before we get into that, would you just mind taking a few moments to just introduce yourself to the audience in terms of the multiple hats you've worn over the years at Loomis and your relationship with the school goes way, way back for a particular reason. So can you talk a little bit about your your long experience with Loomis Chafee? Absolutely. So I graduated from this fine institution in 2005. Uh, So I am one of a a number of faculty members here who are also alumni. Uh, I joined the faculty in, I think it was 2010, as the assistant director of the musical, uh, which was The Wiz. And uh, the following year, the the theater director uh, went on sabbatical and he said, you know, Neil, you should uh, you should apply do my job. And I said, okay, well, sure. And anyway, they hired me for that. And so I was the theater teacher for a year, directed shows and taught all the acting classes. Uh, meanwhile, insinuated myself into the science department, which was my you know real and genuine interest. And uh, the next year a job opened up. And so I started teaching biology and chemistry. And I've, I've been here ever since. My role as the department chair started in 2020. Since I've been here, let's see, what have I done? I've taught science, I've taught theater, I've directed shows, I've coached the ultimate Frisbee team Mm -hmm. and led that team to some of our interscholastic victories. I'm not surprised at all. Possibly all of our interscholastic (laughs) victories because for an intramural team, there weren't a lot of them. Uh, What else have I done? So I'm, I'm really involved with the laboratory program in the science department. So I'm the biology lab coordinator. I help with all the bio labs. I do all the procurement for the department in terms of getting the latest and greatest equipment, supplies, all this sort of thing. I'm also the faculty advisor to MultiX, which is the multiracial affinity group. And uh, and you're married to someone. I am married <laughs> to my wonderful wife, Kate Saxton, who has for many years taught in the English department and is currently serving as an academic dean and as the registrar. Uh, and we live just off campus, like two minutes up the road. 
Uh, what else? Excellent. Is well, um, one of the things, of, of course, I think the reasons why we're going to have a great time is that uh, you and I are both theater people. We're going to do a lot of improv today. We'll see. Okay. okay. So there's been a lot of different ways in which you've experienced the Loomis Chafee community, but the one that where you've had the most recent impact certainly is as a department chair. And so I want to start first with uh, talking a little bit about your role as the chair of the science department and the goals of the department overall. And I'm actually going to quote from our website here. Neil, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. So according to the Loomis website, quote, the science department seeks to kindle a passion for the study of science and to address the needs and interests of all students. So let's start there. So I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about these goals and how, as a department chair, how you know your role supports and promotes these goals. Absolutely. So this first, let's talk about the goals separately at first. So th this first idea of sort of kindling a passion for the study of science, um, you know, we want students who graduate from our institution to be familiar with how science operates, uh, how reliable information about the natural world is generated, and then how to interact with or interpret information, scientific information in their lives. So regardless of whether students go on to become scientists or engineers or, or you know, have a professional life in these fields, we want to make sure that they are science literate and that they can make good decisions based on scientific information. And for a whole host of reasons, we think that's rather important. I think there's also a sense that we'd like folks to see that the scientific view of the world, or, or maybe what science has revealed about the world, is really sort of beautiful and, mm -hmm. and, and special in that way. As an example, I, I, I'm wearing a, uh, a wedding ring on my left hand which is made of gold and some other metals. Um, but the gold in that ring, the element gold, can only really be synthesized in incredibly violent events in the, in the universe, um, and specifically uh, supernova explosions of stars. And so if anybody listening to this has any kind of gold jewelry or anything like that, uh, then, then you know that you possess you know, sort of a remnant of a catastrophic explosion some point in the past. And I think that it's it's more interesting to live in a world where, you know, what, what might appear to be mundane objects, a little hoop of metal, uh, actually connect you with a spectacular cosmic history. And so hopefully we get to do a little of that. My mind is already blown. Can I just state this? Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. Yeah. No, but I think this whole idea of, of using science as a way that is practically applicable that all students can relate. You know, there are some students who will say like, oh, yeah. I'm not a science person, right? Or, oh, I'm not, you know, I'm not interested or I'm not good at science or, mm -hmm. you know, those, you know, those STEM fields. And I think what you're talking about in terms of having entryways for all students to be able to appreciate and learn about the intersection between something that seems ordinary, mm -hmm. um, but has uh, connections to the extraordinary is really fascinating. And is that something that you that you think is a new type of approach or pedagogically to the teaching of science? Like, I don't remember ever having conversations about that when I was in science class. Granted, it was a very long time ago. <laughs> well, I think that for a long time, hopefully teachers have striven to make the work of learning relevant for students. Mm -hmm. Certainly that's a priority for us today. Mm -hmm. We want to make sure that students 
are, are interested in what we're doing. Um, and we want to make sure that they understand why they're learning what they're learning. If a student doesn't understand why a topic is being taught, why it's a part of the curriculum, that's uh, that's a problem on our end, mm -hmm. right? So it's it's I believe it's the responsibility of the teacher to explain why we are learning what we're learning and what the value is to an individual person, you know, whether or not they go into these fields and to society as a whole. So like, why, why should it be that societies spend a bunch of time training all of their people in the basics of chemistry, biology, physics, mm -hmm. and so on, right? Mm -hmm. So, so what's the value of that? And, mm -hmm. I, and I think if we're, if we're not doing that, we're missing an awfully big part uh, because we're, we've chosen the things that we wish to educate mm -hmm. our children very carefully. And if we're not communicating those reasons to them, then we're putting them in a position where it can seem like what you're doing in school is is just for its own sake. Yes. While education, in fact, serves an incredibly important social purpose uh, without which our civilization literally could not exist the way that it does. Right. So this, you know, kind of traditional view of some students saying like, oh, you know, physics, you know, why do I need mm -hmm. to learn physics? When am I ever going to need physics or when am I ever going to need chemistry yeah. in my life? That's a little bit, I think, of what you're touching on. It, it is. Yeah. And I think it's our obligation to answer those questions mm -hmm. and to say, OK, well, so, you know, why do we teach physics to the, the children of our civilization? Well, it's because our civilization depends on having people who are knowledgeable here. Right. So there's that sort of big picture humanitarian view of these are the things we need to run our society. And therefore, we need people who know how to do them. Um, there's also a the the view of our job here at a high school at, with a sort of liberal arts emphasis is to give you a very broad education so that as many doors as possible are open to you as you go forward mm -hmm. right so so it might be that you take your first physics class and and you think to yourself wow this is incredible this is what i want my whole life to be about in which case great there's a path open for you and and you're ready to go down it or you might go, well, I, you know, this is interesting. Maybe, I don't know if it's for me. I might be more interested in this or that. But if you change your mind later, you're in a position to pursue that interest mm -hmm. later on, mm -hmm. right? So there's there's kind of, there's multiple angles or multiple approaches uh, that we can use to answer that question of why should I be learning this? Part right. of it is because you might actually discover later on that you love it and we want to make sure you're in a position to pursue it then. And the other is that Everything we teach is is sort of vital for the the whole human endeavor. Right, and I and I love that we're talking about this particular um, approach because it's the mission of the school. As people know who listen to this podcast and know about Loomis Chafee, of course, is about educating the best self in service of the common good. And I know that you've talked quite a bit about this intersection uh, between mm -hmm. science and the common good, and even thinking about that this is one area in which we have an obligation as educational institutions, and it's not just about best self. It's not just on the individual, but it's also about what happens in a, on the communal level, I think very much reflects the mission and the values of the school as well. So knowing that, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit, you touched a little bit about this idea of different paths, right? That mm -hmm. students could go down and we have a, a very broad and rich curriculum. You talked about the importance of kind of foundational learning, but then we also have a lot of different paths in which that can, a student can, can work. So I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about just the creation of curriculum within the department and the different paths in which um, students can kind of put together their journey through science at Loomis. Absolutely. So let me start by giving a sort of overview of the science curriculum and, mm -hmm. and the 
paths that students can take through it. So our graduation requirements are actually, they're, they're quite modest. It's, it's a year of life science and a year of physical science. And so life science would be you know, any sort of biology or environmental science. Physical science would be any sort of chemistry, physics, astronomy, those kinds of things. Uh, so we require students to take two years of science. The figure, the last time I looked it up, is that the average student takes, I think it's like 3.7 years of science mm -hmm. while they're here, mm -hmm. uh, with some students taking you know, five full years of science or, or even more if that's their particular interest. So, I'm sorry, just to clarify, yeah. meaning that they would double up on science classes in a particular yeah, year, like right. say as a, as a senior, they might take two term courses in a science or a year Correct. in a term. Okay, Correct. so I just want to clarify that for the audience. Yeah, okay. that's right. And so... We have this this you know sort of relatively modest core of requirements, and then students can take whatever they want, and there's really a pretty large number of courses to choose from. So, uh, you know, one student might take biology their ninth grade year, chemistry their tenth grade year, decide you know they want to stick with the sort of core uh, disciplines to start with, and take physics their junior year, and then their senior year based on the courses that they've taken already, they might decide, boy, I'd, I'd really love to learn a little bit more about biology. And so they might create a, a senior year science program, which consists of uh, genetics, molecular biology, and forensics, mm -hmm. let's say. Mm -hmm. um, or they might say, wow, physics has really been engaging for me. Let's do a year of astronomy. Um, or maybe I really like physics and I really like space and I really like math. Mm. And so I wanna do the calculus-based astrophysics class. Mm -hmm. And so we, we have a, a huge variety of options for students to choose from based on their interests. And we also offer those at a variety of different levels. And so depending on a student's academic readiness and sort of where they've been and what they're ready for at that time, we can provide them an environment that is challenging, hopefully without being overwhelming. And so for example, if I want to learn about space, right, I can take that CL astrophysics class, asterisk on the CL, um, or I can take the regular level astronomy course, uh, which relies less on the mathematics, right? So, so if you if you have that math background and you want a more sort of crunchy physics experience, you can take the astrophysics. And if you want to learn about space more in a conceptual way, you can take the astronomy course. And so we've got options like that in chemistry, in environmental science, in physics, in biology, uh, in applied science. It's it's really a pretty robust offering that offers a lot of paths for folks. Um, and I want to touch on that, that asterisk. So I mentioned that we have, you know, a CL astrophysics. And so at Loomis, all of our highest level courses have this CL appellation, which stands for college level. And that's basically just our way of denoting all of our highest level courses, typically, but not exclusively taken by juniors and seniors. Um, and so, you know, if we have classes that follow the AP curriculum, and there are a couple, our CL Chem class, our CL Physics class, then those uh, would fall in this category. Um, but also if we have courses that are pushing students, uh, that are really providing a, a high level of expectation in terms of student work, then we would give it that CL label regardless of whether it you know, interfaces with the AP mm -hmm. curriculum. And the ones that interface with the AP curriculum, it, um, it notes in the course description guide whether or not students will be prepared to take that AP exam for that particular course or not, correct? Yep, that's right. And, and there are some classes that don't explicitly prepare students for the AP, but some students take those courses. So for example, you know, um, maybe you take our, our CL environmental science course, mm -hmm. which is a year long, and 
it's really something of interest to you and you would like to take the AP Enviro test, you certainly can do that. And that course is going to put you in a, on a better footing than you would be without it. Mm -hmm. But you might have to do a little side study and the teachers support students who want to do that kind of thing and pointing them in the right direction. And so we actually do have a number of students every year that take AP tests, even if they are not in a course that is specifically oriented at preparation for those. Got it. Got it. Okay. So um, I'm wondering, as we're talking about CL courses, if you wouldn't mind talking a little bit about our CL guided research. Um, we do yeah. get questions about, do we have research opportunities at mm -hmm. Loomis Chafee? And, and just to remind everyone, research is not necessarily just in science. Um, we That's also right. have opportunities in, across humanities and social sciences. But I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about the, the guided research course. And mm -hmm. it's it's been um, going for a little while now. And I yeah, know that right. it changes a little bit in terms of... Um, content and things like that. So could mm -hmm. you talk a little bit about it? I am so excited to talk about this. This has been a focus for me personally over the last year and a half or so, and we've been making some pretty big moves in the science research area, which are actually kicking off this year. Okay. So I'm, I'm excited Great. to share this Great. I didn't even know you. that. Good. Perfect. Excellent. Let's well, it's all, it. this is, it's all, it's as fresh, fresh stuff. <laughs> Good. Uh, so, okay. So we, in the science department, we have two guided research projects or GRPs. One is in the area of molecular biology and one is in the area of environmental science and sustainability. So the way these courses work is they are very small. So each section has four or five students in it uh, with, with one teacher who's an expert in this area. And uh, what happens over the course of the year is that students complete authentic research projects in that area. So I'll give you a couple of examples. Uh, in the molecular biology research project, over time, some of the things we've seen. Uh, one of the early projects was working to find compounds that had a neuroprotective effect. So basically what students were doing was they were uh, harvesting neurons from fertilized chicken embryos. So like very early stage, you wouldn't sort of recognize them as chickens at, mm -hmm. the, at the time that they extract the cells. Um, and we, you know, there are ethics concerns about that, right? So we were very careful about all of that kind of thing. Um, and uh, cultivating those neurons, uh, those brain cells in the laboratory, and, and then exposing them to a variety of different compounds that, that in the literature suggest might have some kind of uh, ability to preserve them against damage and then exposing them to uh, oxidative stress or you know, sort of a chemical stressor and seeing whether those treatments uh, that we applied actually had an effect on cell death. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and they found, they tested a couple different compounds and they found that one of them uh, was harmful, one of them was protective, and one of them had no discernible effect. Mm -hmm. So this is interesting. And, and yeah. you know, possibly there's some translational research there uh, which could parlay these kinds of really basic discoveries, like fundamental discoveries into treatments for, for people or, or animals um, with neurodegenerative disease or these sorts of things. A more recent project was actually a collaboration with a researcher at the University of Connecticut. And this researcher was interested in esophageal atresia in infants, newborn infants. And, and what this is, is it's a condition basically where the infant's digestive system does not fully form and there's sort of a gap between the esophagus and the stomach. And so the, the, that pathway is not complete, which you can imagine is a pretty big issue. Um, and so the way that this is typically dealt with these days is that the, the pathway is just sort of shortened and stitched together. And it works, but, but not as well as 
you know, a normally formed digestive tract would. And so the idea was, it, could it be possible to use the cells, the, the infant's own cells, to create a lab-grown bit of esophagus that could then be installed to bridge the gap? And so what our students were doing was working with human stem cells to study the, the differentiation or the changing of those cells into the kinds of cells that would be used to produce those kinds of esophagi. And so this was really cool, right? Because again, we're doing this kind of human cell culture in the lab in high school, which is pretty amazing and right. not very common. Right. Um, and, and they were collaborating with uh, a real project at the University of Connecticut, which is a major research outfit, mm -hmm. um, and, and getting to interact with folks there. So students in this program are, are learning critical laboratory skills that will set them up to be able to go and you know join a lab when they go to college or over the summer, make them really compelling candidates for those kinds of opportunities, which could open more doors for them later down the road. Um, it's teaching them about experimental design. It's also helping them form connections with actual researchers, which is beneficial so they can see what those careers are like, um, and also maybe you know help them in, a, in a, uh, some other kind of fashion along the way. There's other things we could talk about in that area, I do want to pivot to the guided environmental science research project. That would be great. Operates a little bit differently. Yeah. So in the molecular biology, it, I would say it operates more like a traditional research lab where you sort of have a principal investigator who, who sets the terms of the research and says, this is what this lab is doing. And you have some leeway to choose exactly what you want to pursue. But this is a esophageal atresia stem cell research right. lab. It's, right. it's determined by the faculty member Correct. as to what the research is going to be, not right. by the individual student's interest. Right. They do have yeah. some leeway, I mean, they have right? An, yeah. So, they, yeah. so in that specific case, they got to study specific genes that they were interested in. Okay. And they got to choose those based on a review of the literature and got what it. they thought might be relevant to got what it. they were working on. So they so they they did have some choice there. But this is, this is much closer to what the actual experience of working in a lab right. at a university. Right. Is. right. Our guided environmental research program takes a different approach, which is also really exciting. Um, and that's to allow the students really to design their research projects pretty much from scratch. And so we've seen students looking at uh, one of one of them this year was looking at water conservation on this campus. And so they worked with uh, folks from our physical plants. Um, to understand the layout of all of our pipes and how they hook up to the municipal water system and how the usage uh, happens and you know leaks in that system and you know getting a sense of the fundamentals of that infrastructure so that they could make recommendations about water conservation on campus. So which was really interesting because typically yep. when we think about water conservation, we think about the end of that process, right? How long is your shower? And mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. are, are you using a dishwasher or washing things by hand? These these kinds of things. But the infrastructure has a lot to do with it. And so this student was interested in that. Don't ask me how a student comes to be interested in <laughs> in underground pipes, but but she was. And so she had an opportunity to pursue that. And again to work with the folks who actually do this kind of thing for a living. Right. And so that was really exciting. We've had folks work on developing cleaning products that are that are have less of a hazardous environmental mm -hmm. impact. Mm -hmm. uh, we've seen folks do projects around food waste and, and mm -hmm. discouraging you know excess uh, food from being thrown away. Yep. Um, one of our projects had a hand in our one megawatt solar array, mm -hmm. which is uh, now energized and provides I think something like thirty five percent of the electricity here. That actually started as a student project. We also now compost industrially compost our excess food waste with a with a local 
organization, and that also had some of its roots in in these kinds of programs mm-hmm. and in our sustainability initiatives more broadly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, whether it's the molecular biology program, we're having a sort of more university style approach to research, or it's the environmental science research program where you're you're creating creating and crafting these projects with guidance and support from your teacher, you're you're getting what is really an authentic, real experience of working in science. You're meeting relevant people. You're learning what this could be like as a career if you want to pursue it. They're wonderful programs. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm so proud of all the work that the students and the faculty do in those programs. And I'm, and I'm really excited, too, because we're going to be expanding mm-hmm. our research programs in the near future. Can I tell you about that? Amy? I would love oh, you my to goodness. tell us about I am that. so excited, too. <laughs> so, so we have these courses. And as I said before, they're quite small. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, they are oriented at students who have done a lot of coursework in those areas already. So if, if you're going to do the guided research project in molecular biology, we want you to have some upper-level bio experience so that you can really make the most of it and be ready to do that. Same thing for the Enviro research project, we want you to have a year of environmental science in addition to your core classes so you can make the most of it. And and that's appropriate, I think. Um, But not all students are going to follow that path. Right. And that doesn't mean that they shouldn't have an opportunity to see what scientific research might be like. Mm -hmm. And, And in fact, I think that there are a bunch of students for whom trying their hand in an authentic research context would actually really really light a fire yeah. uh, in terms of their their love of science yep. uh, in a way that you know more conceptual learning might not. Yep. And so we're, we're doing a couple of things here to promote broader access to research opportunities in science at Loomis Chafee. So one of these is that we are going to be launching this spring as a pilot program, an after-school research activity. Wow. So this is something that a student could do, uh, for example, in lieu of participating in a team sport, yep. let's say. Because we just have an afternoon activity requirement at Loomis. It's not necessarily an athletic requirement per se. Every That's term. right. Yep. yep. And so those students would come in and it would work a little bit like the guided research project in molecular biology, where there's a there's a teacher who's helping to shepherd a large group of students through some particular set of, of research work. And so, again, they're learning the skills. They're, they're learning how to design scientific experiments. They're interacting with people who do this kind of work for a living. Um, but there's no prerequisites. The only prerequisite is that they want to do it. Interest. Yeah. Yeah. So if I'm a great. ninth grader who's never done anything like oh, this great. before, yeah. but it's interesting to me, yep. awesome, right. perfect. Right. right. If I'm a 12th grader and I've really been interested in you know languages and history, and so my science background wouldn't wouldn't allow me to take the the GRPs as courses, yep. but I, I'm curious about this. Yep. There you go. How again, about it? Right. you have an opportunity to take a look. And again, I think you know we're we're a school that has this sort of liberal arts emphasis where we say we want you to explore and find out what you like mm-hmm. so that you can pursue that further down the line. Right. And so this really, I, I think, speaks to that goal. Mm-hmm. And and we're really excited about it. So we're going to be shaping that up and designing it this year. And and in the spring of this year will be the first students that go through that. That's program. awesome. The other component that we are expanding is, and this is really in response to, to student need, what students have come to us and asked for, uh, is we, we now have someone to coordinate student work with outside opportunities. Okay, let's so hear more about that. Let's. So we have, you know, uh, nationally and internationally, there are all kinds of contests where students might do research mm-hmm. uh, and present a paper or, yep. or you know, submit 
um, some kind of proposal. And prior to this year, students who wanted to do that, who needed a faculty sponsor, who needed some guidance, would be in the position of sort of going around and saying, you know, Mr. Chowdhury, are, are you, you free to help? help? Me, right. Can you help me? And, <laughs> and, you know, sometimes we can and sometimes we can't. We right. all have a lot of responsibilities right. Or here. doing it in the summer or something. Yeah. Right, outside so, of school. Yeah. So there's, there were a lot of limitations to the extent that we could really support right. students who wanted to go above and beyond their coursework here. Mm -hmm. And that was not a it didn't feel good to be in that position, to mm -hmm. have students who were so thrilled about your subject area come to you and be like, can I do extra science, please? <laughs> and, and, and to say, well, boy, I, I love the idea, but it's just going to be really hard for us to support that. Right. Here. Now we have a formal support for that. So we, we have um, a person who and, and is also the person who runs the guided research project molecular biology, right? So a lot of relevant experience here. Yep. Um, and, and that's Dr. Ihabi Ismail, by the way. Yep. Um, and so uh, when students come to us and say, hey, I want to do this research project. Hey, I want to enter this science fair. Hey, um, I, I'm, I'm looking for help finding a summer internship, whatever, these kinds of things, they can go to him with that proposal and they can work together to find time to, to do the research, um, work through the applications together, right? And again, this is about access. There are students who have all the resources to pursue these things on their own, and there are students who don't. Right. And we want to make sure that, the, the again, the only prerequisite to pursuing grand things in science is that you want to. Right. Uh, and so we're re really excited about this. And this is something I've we, I mean, I think the, the seeds of this program were planted years ago, and we've been kind of putting the, plate, the pieces into place over time, and, and now we're ready to make it happen. So I, I couldn't yeah. be more excited. I, and if, if you could actually see Neil's expression as he's talking about <laughs> this, you would know how excited he is, and I am as well. I think, you know, as somebody who's been here a long time um, and, and worked in the college office for a long time, we had a lot of conversations over the years about that mm -hmm. type of opportunity, and we, yep. we would get a lot of questions about it, you know, and, and how could the school support this? So the fact that a structure is being put into place and resources behind it says a lot about the institution. And one of the things I'd love to hear a little bit more about as we're thinking about this, it makes me think about, you know, we, we you mentioned at the beginning something about um, kind of change over time in mm -hmm. terms of how things have developed, like how the GRP has developed over time and how yeah. it's changing. And, you know, um, the types of students, what they can do in terms of science, the access that they might have has mm -hmm. perhaps changed over time. You've been doing this a while. You know, you've been at Loomis for a while. Are there particular things that you've seen kind of ebb and flow or goals in the future as you're thinking about what, what's the next? You know, you have a lot that's coming on this year, but I'm thinking just about trends. Mm -hmm. Are there particular trends that you've seen as you've worked in the department around course curriculum creation? around um, interest of students, around, you know, things that are going on in the industry, around the education of science, anything along those lines. Yeah, absolutely. So I think student interest is often what drives the changes that we make. Okay. So when when students are are really curious about some subject, but we don't offer a course in it, that's often the seed of a new class. And, mm -hmm. and I'll give you a concrete example. So we had students who were really interested in doing uh, modern physics. So let's say like, you know, quantum theory and relativity onward or like particle physics, right? So, you know, your, your typical AP physics curriculum basically goes up to and including like the like 1910, 
maybe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's plenty, believe me. I mean, that's that's a lot. Like you, you might think, well, 1910, how complicated could it be? Very complicated, as it turns out. There's, there's plenty I'll there. take your word for it, Neil. Right? But, but, you know, there were some students who, who really wanted to learn more about, you know, what in the 20s and 30s was called the new physics, right? Yeah. Quantum theory. And, and so we had a couple of students who were interested in doing that. And they approached one of our teachers at the time, whose name, uh, believe it or not, is Mr. Signs. <laughs> Sounds a lot like Mr. Science. Ba-dum-bum. Yep. And uh, who who was also quite interested in this. And they said, can we do a, a sort of independent study in this subject with you? I think it was two students that first year. And, and so they did it and it was great. And then uh, the following year, some more students said, hey, we heard about this independent study last year. We'd really love to do it. I think there was five students that year. And we started to say, you know, this independent study model is, is great for its flexibility, but it's not it like there's enough interest here that we should make this a course. Right. Um, and so that that idea of, you know, let's have a sort of more modern physics term class for students to be a kind of capstone in their physics studies mm. uh, ended up becoming the, the CL modern physics class, which then became actually our CL astrophysics course now. Ah. And so that that was shaped partly by the interest and expertise of our faculty as well, right? right. So we we had um, Dr. Steve Stewart, whose whose background is in astronomy and astrophysics and science education. And um, so when when Mr. Science uh, departed from the school, we said, you know, we still want to offer this capstone physics experience. We've got a teacher who would really like to teach, you know, this calculus based astrophysics. This is the opportunity, right? Right. So we're right. so we're we're working at the intersection of student interest faculty interest, right? right? And, and sort of what we can put together there. And, and a lot of courses have begun this way. We have two terms of organic chemistry that mm-hmm. also started this way. Okay. Um, our guided research project came out of, I think, a faculty member, you know, 10 or 12 years ago, who, uh, when he wasn't working here, was a researcher in a laboratory mm-hmm. and, and saw the value of that as an opportunity for student education. Right. And, and I think he was working with some students as like a club uh, to discover novel viruses in the environment and, and thought, boy, this should be a class. And yeah. the students agreed. And, yeah. and, and that's our guided research project in molecular biology today. Well, I mean, I think what you're getting to with this whole point, which I think is so important for people looking at independent schools and trying to think about independent schools to know is this is the quintessential uh, kind of benefit of independent schools yeah, is right. that right is that this intersection between this is what students are interested in this is what faculty have expertise a background and yep. interest in and kind of coming yep. together and of course you know that it's not like that happens with everything all the time but this is one reason why we have over 250 classes is because there's yeah. and we have term courses that also lend themselves to be able for mm-hmm. faculty to to put together and students to put together their own individualized interests in this way. That is a huge benefit of being at a school of the size of Loomis Chafee and the flexibility of Loomis Chafee yep. within an independent school model. I, I Absolutely. I think we, we have a, a nimbleness yes. that is, is hard to find when you're subject to, you know, a, a broader institutional structure. Right. Um, it, right. It's, 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 I, I love the autonomy. I think when we trust, uh, the, the needs as expressed by our students and we trust our faculty, they come together to make some pretty special things. Right. Um, and I liked that you mentioned the trimester schedule. So one of the things that changed over the last 12 years is that we started offering way more term classes in science. So what we found, I think it was like 10 years ago when this, this really started to happen was 
we had students who as juniors or seniors couldn't take a science course because they didn't have room for a full year class. These are students who were interested in science, who would have liked to have taken science, but who couldn't because the option was a full year of science or nothing. Mm -hmm. And since then we've added, I used to know the number, it's like 12 or 13 term classes in, in science. Uh, that are oriented primarily at juniors and seniors so that if I want to take just one term of science, I can do that. If I want to take two, I can do that. If I want to take three, great, four, five, six, or anywhere in between, right? So it's about, it's not just about sort of flexibility in terms of the topics that are being offered, like physics versus chemistry. It's also offering flexibility in the scheduling and recognizing that our science students are not just science students, right? right? They're They're here at this school studying a lot of different things, and we want to try and accommodate their needs as best as possible. So there's those kind of structural things that we look at Mm -hmm. to make sure that a student can pursue their interests, again, sort of regardless of their other obligations. They can have as much freedom as possible. I I, I love that you brought up this example because it does make me think of, um, you did, you, you taught two of my children and both in the forensics class Mm -hmm. and which is a term class. And, um, one in particular was, uh, very much a a humanities person and really wanted to double in English, um, and take more humanities classes, but didn't want to lose an opportunity to take science, especially your particular class. Let's just say that it's a well, known, very popular course. And she wanted to take it, even though she wasn't a quote unquote science person. And because it was offered as a term course, it it was something that she could work into her schedule in that way. And I love, it kind of goes back to what we talked about at the beginning, that there are ways in which all students can experience science in a way that's not just for scientists, for future engineers, uh, uh, you know, or whomever, you know, pre-med, whatever you want to talk about, researchers, that there's so many different paths and ways in which students can find areas of interest. Um, Science is for everyone. Science is for everyone. And the term courses do allow for that a little bit more because they have more flexibility. Okay. So while there may be, um, students like my daughter who, for whom they were just wanting to continue to have science in some way in their curriculum, I have another daughter who is a science major in college and her passion, and I've talked about her on the podcast before is environmental science. And she, that she really started that here, but she knew from a fairly early age that science was going to be something that she wanted to pursue for her, for her passion and her life in some fashion. And I know that the way that we design our courses also enables students to, to really go deeply. Mm-hmm. Um, so can you talk a little bit more about students for whom they might be, you know, those types of students? Yeah, absolutely. So f- you know, the, the, the general idea here is that we want to prepare students to pursue further study in science at the highest level, if that's what they want. Right. So there are a number of ways that we do that. First is our sort of curricular flexibility. So our graduation requirements generally at the school are broad enough that if a student wants to take five years worth of science or more, they can do that. And so a student can leave here with a really broad foundation in science courses. Those research classes also prepare students with the laboratory skills and the experimental design skills that then they can take, like when they go to a university, if they wanna work in a lab, they can go to their professor and they can say, hey, you know, I'm really interested in the work you do on squid 
camouflage mechanisms sure, or whatever. And I want you to know that I know how to do gel electrophoresis and fluorescent microscopy and polymerase chain reaction and mammalian cell culture and all of these things. And uh, I'm wondering if you would have space for me in your lab. I think that I could be an asset to you. And, and professors are looking like that, you know, they, they teach, right? They are teachers, they are researchers. They, they, many of them want to mentor young people, but there's always sort of a cost benefit calculation being done where it's like, well, okay, you know, if I take this very green person in, how much do I have to invest right. in them before they start yes. actually being uh, beneficial? Right. And also what are the risks of having a total novice in a lab with a lot of sensitive and difficult work to be done? And so if we can demonstrate, you know, our students who go through these programs actually are folks who can be an asset very quickly then that opens a door for them. And once they get that first job in the lab, then that summer internship gets a little easier to get. And then that next thing and that next thing and that next thing. So again, what we're trying to do here is open as many doors as possible. And for some of our students, that might mean opening up a, a broad array of different paths. And for some of them, it might be trying to open that, that third door in the line, right? That that research position or that's, you know, summer fellowship in their sophomore year of college or, or whatever. Neil, you know, having this conversation with you, I, I really do wish that this is one of those cases where we were doing it on Zoom or something so people could see your expression as you talk about your work, because it's so obvious how much passion you have for what you do. And I, I'd like to switch gears a little bit just to talk about what, what you love about Loomis, what you love about yeah. um, being, you know, being the chair of the science department and what you love about teaching, um, you know, it's just so evident. You're so your courses are so popular with students. You know, you, you're you do such a wonderful job at what you do. And you obviously have a real, real passion and a calling here. So I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about why you do what you do. What makes you excited to get out of bed every day? And what do you why do you like doing it at Loomis Chafee? Sure. Well, I, you know, I will say as a teacher, uh, summers are so wonderful, right? I mean, having this amount of time off is, is great, no matter how much you love your job. But I will say that, uh, and, and I'm not alone in this, that when it starts to get into August, you know, I start to get a little antsy because I want to be back doing the work that I love right. with these wonderful people, students and faculty alike. And this is a great place to do it. So first off, teaching at an independent school, you get a lot of autonomy. So when I first started teaching the forensics class, I was able to design that from the ground up and, and the decisions about what to include in the curriculum and what to exclude and how to approach it. Those were my decisions to make. And so I, you know, as the person with the, the most familiarity with the content, got to make all the calls, mm -hmm. which was great. And then when I started running the course and I started getting feedback from students as to what was working and what wasn't, I was able to update the curriculum really fast. And, and actually, because the course was so popular, I got to iterate on it many, many times in a single year. Mm -hmm. And and within, I think, two or three years, it was running six sections a year, which is wild. Uh, and and so, so that kind of autonomy, that kind of um, nimbleness with which we can make these changes is, is really great. And it's really empowering as a teacher, too. When, when I think as a teacher, you feel, and I think you are justified in feeling, that you are the person in the best position to make the choices about how your class should run. And here you get to make those calls, right? I mean, right. There, there are always, you know, if I'm teaching a class with another person, 
I don't get to just say like, we are both doing all of these things, right? We're working together. We wanna to provide a consistent, coherent experience for students, regardless of whose course uh, they take. Um, but, but generally speaking, if we agree that, you know, the, the cell cycle should be cut to make room for uh, some pre-med content, then we do that. Right. And that's awesome. Right. And it's good for students too. Like if, if you're a student and your teacher appears bored by the topic they're teaching, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's going to be tough for you to get interested. So having teachers who are excited about what they're doing and who have had a hand in crafting it, I think is, is great for the teachers. It's great for the students. It's great for the school as a whole. Um, I, I think also, you know, for me personally, I have such wonderful colleagues, these folks in, in the school generally, but I'll just talk about the science department are the most, are the kindest, most supportive, caring, just delightful people mm -hmm. that I have gotten to share my life with. And when I, when I first joined the department, so again, I, I remind folks that I was a student here and then I came back, you know, five years or six years after I graduated to start teaching here. And I was worried that, you know, people would kind of treat me as, as a junior man <laughs> and, um, and just sort of see me as, you know, not as a peer. Right. Uh, and that was not at all the case. From day one, I felt respected. I felt that my voice was listened to, to the extent that it warranted listening to, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I was so welcomed and supported. And, and not just by the people whose job it was to support me, like my department head mm -hmm. or my mentor, but, but everybody that I worked with. And when I had the opportunity to start serving as the department chair, a big reason why I said yes was because I wanted to pay forward and pay back mm -hmm. that care that I had received. Mm -hmm. I thought this was special. Mm -hmm. You know, when I came here as a 23 year old or whatever it was, um, this was a place where in, in a sense I could continue to grow up right. uh, and, and develop into, you know, a relatively mature and, and functional uh, adult. And, and so being able to provide an environment for others to do that and to, and to be their best in the classroom and grow as a professional is all just really special to me. Um, and then I will just say generally that the students here are just such a delight to work with. I mean, people are excited to learn right. and, and that's not an experience that all teachers get. And it's not an experience that all students get, right. that they get to share their classrooms with people who also really want to learn. Mm -hmm. And it makes a huge difference when everybody around you is saying, you know, hey, uh, do you want to get together and, and prepare for that uh, test or, or will you look over my paper, right? When, when the folks around you are demonstrating that caring about school is important and normal, it makes it so much easier for you to do that. Right. And, and likewise, as a teacher, when your colleagues are demonstrating that caring about your work, going the extra mile, always never being satisfied with good enough and, and always striving to improve, when that's the norm, then again, you want to do the same things. You feel the same way. Right. And so this has been a place where it's been great to be a human being mm -hmm. and it's been great to be a teacher, as well. Well, I don't think that we can end on a better note than Loomis Chafee is a great place to be a human being. <laughs> so Neil, I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to come and talk with us today. We've covered so many helpful topics, I think, for prospective families. We've, I think, given 
people some things to really think about when they consider what should my experience be in science in high school? And to parents, what types of things should I be thinking about when I look at science programs? Not everybody who listens to this podcast will come to Loomis Chafee, mm-hmm. but I think you've given them some really great things to consider as they're thinking about a future in science and what that might look like in the short term and in the long term and the type of community that they might want to um, might want to be a part of. So we certainly hope that's Loomis Chafee, but uh, if it's not, uh, I think you've given them a lot to consider. So I just want to say again, thank you for coming. It's been great uh, to learn more about it. I'm, I'm super excited to see the, the new things that are coming along the way with the science department um, for the next year. Maybe we'll do a check-in a year from now and you know see how everything went. That sounds great, Amy. Well, thank you for having me. It's been my pleasure. All right. Thank you, everybody. This has been Amy Thompson, and this has been Genuine Admissions, and thank you for listening.